Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. The mic is hot. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) We're back for another episode I think this is actually episode 31 of Podcast by Proxy. I think that's kind of where we're at. Uh, if you're new, hello and welcome. And if you're returning, hello and welcome. <laughs> so I, I think we'll probably just get right into it. We're still together. If you didn't know when we were together for the first time in a long time, we were recording up, uh, some stuff and we ended up recording an extra. So... This is probably going to go up a little bit later than it normally would. They usually go up within a couple days of us recording. But listen, my voice is it's cracking. I am a 14-year-old boy going through puberty, and it is what it is. I don't know why. I don't know why that's happening to me. But today, uh, if you if you saw the title, we're talking about... Drum roll. The case of Honey and Barry Sherman. So this is a... Very, I know you love her name. (laughs) You love it. This is a pretty high profile case in Canada. Uh, Obviously, we'll get into like why that is, but um, yeah, we will. And this is still unsolved. Been really out of my element lately. I'm doing two unsolved. I don't know yet, but I'm honestly just racking my brain. So it says this sounds familiar, and I'm trying to think how long this has been an unsolved case because that maybe helps me. Okay, no, go ahead. I'm still trying to remember. Like four years, three, four years. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're just going to get right into it, I think. Before we start, as we always mention, if you want to hang out with us outside of this podcast, you can go to Instagram at Podcast by Proxy, kind of for like the evening show, the daily hang, if you will. Um, that's that's about it. I mean, you can follow us at Podcast by Proxy everywhere on your listening platform would be great. It really helps us out. But I mean, I just really like to plug my Instagram page or our Instagram page because I do. I work so, I work so hard on it. It does work very hard. The Sherman murders is one of Canada's most high profile cases. Uh, it is unsolved to this day, like I mentioned. Barry Sherman was the 15th wealthiest man in Canada at the time of his death. And him and his wife, Honey, were worth together between five and ten billion dollars well let's get into it barry was born bernard charles sherman on february 25th 1942 bernard he of course goes by barry and he's born in toronto ontario canada he was born to jewish parents his father's name was herbert dick quote hyman sherman and his mother's name was sarah sherman Katie's a child. I don't know why. Hyman just makes me laugh. Uh, his father actually died of a heart attack when he was only 10 years old. Oh, that's really sad. Okay. Yeah. Sorry for making fun of your Hyman. Oh, I need to stop clicking. No clicking, no typing. The funniest part about the clicking is that my laptop is touchscreen. So why do you click ever? Uh, you know what's funny? The whole time you were researching and I was telling my case, you pretty much never clicked. I know. It's like you're only doing it because it's like a murder habit. Yeah, 100%. Barry was actually incredibly intelligent from a young age. He also claims to have known he wanted to be a businessman from the age of nine. Barry won a national physics contest while attending Forest Hill Collegiate Institution and graduated with top marks. In 1958, he entered University of Toronto's engineering science program at the age of 15, and he was believed to be the youngest to do so at the time. Wow. I mean, good for him. There has since been somebody who uh, was 14 and beat his record, but... I don't think that steals your thunder, buddy. It doesn't steal your thunder at all. No, you're still a genius. So during his summers, Barry worked for his uncle, Louis Lloyd Winter, at his pharmaceutical company, which was called Empire Laboratories. Oh, that's where the big money is, pharmaceutical. Yes. And at the time, Empire Laboratories was Canada's largest wholly owned pharmaceutical company, which means it's the largest pharmaceutical company owned by like one person oh not owned by the church no okay no holy spelled w-h-o-l-l-y not holy 
I like, really kind of thought like Big Pharma and Jesus were just no like that, together. <laughs> no, the only one owned by like one one entity. Okay. And we um, are gonna come back to Empire Laboratories, so keep that one in your back pocket. But Barry was often. He was watching over operations when his uncle went away on business. Like, he was kind of being groomed in a way, learning the ropes of the business. He's like an intern. Yeah. Now, Louis Lloyd Winter, he was born on St. Patrick's Day in 1924. He attended Jarvis Collegiate Institute in Toronto, where he made the honor roll. He was accepted into the biochem program at the University of Toronto, and he graduated there with a master's degree. In 1948, he borrowed $10,000 from his father and opened up his first venture, which was Winter Laboratories. The business was based in the family's garage, and he basically processed blood work and pregnancy tests for, like, local pharmacies, doctor's offices, in his garage. For like unsanitary. Yeah, I'm not sure how that worked, but we're also talking the 1940s. God, I hope it's not the same garage as my last case. <laughs> same. Really same. Sorry, Christine. So this business grew big enough that it was operating eventually out of the basement of what's called the Mothercraft Building on Bloor Street in Toronto, Ontario. So basically it grew big enough that Bloor. they went out of the garage into an office. Okay, branching out, you're expanding. Okay. Yeah. So. Let's see you, Pharma Jesus. Yeah, so he kind of, I don't really know how Winter Laboratories comes to a close, but he basically moves on from this or like upscales it um, and opened the generic pharmaceutical brand Empire Laboratories Limited on August 21st, 1959. He felt that or he recognized that brand name pharmaceutical drugs and popular like over-the-counter meds were really expensive and a lot of consumers were having a difficult time purchasing their necessary brand. Exactly. So he knew that a lot of these products could be synthesized and purchased in bulk and then manufactured or packaged into their like required doses, dosage forms for a fraction of their retail cost. So kind of superstore. Kind of had the people in mind. Kind of had his or Costco. His pocket in mind. A little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So Empire is known for being the first Canadian generic pharmaceutical company that was legally permitted to package its generic medications exactly like its brand name counterparts in order to prevent consumers, obviously, from becoming confused. I can relate this to, like, birth control packets. If you've ever gotten, like, the name brand and then the generic, they literally look exactly the same usually in the same little packaging. Yeah, it's just like the name on the corner is different. Yeah, and exact that's exactly it. So the only stipulation in the Supreme Court case ruling was that Empire Laboratories was required to place its recognizable e-trademark um, directly on all of its products to distinguish them from the name brand ones. Okay. Yeah, so that uh, court case... You can't hide it, which is understandable. Yeah. Yeah, so that was Park, Davis, and Co. versus Empire Laboratories in 1964. Um, But yeah, so by 1964, Empire was one of Canada's largest pharmaceutical companies with over 100 different products in its catalog. Jeez, so he's doing 100 products, buying in bulk, redistributing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's big money, buddy. Yeah. So we can go back to Barry now. Barry graduated from the University of Toronto uh, with the highest honors in his class, he also received the university's Governor General Award for his thesis. He then enrolled at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, to begin doctoral Ooh. studies in engineering. Yeah, this guy was smart. And really smart and good with money. In 1967, uh, Barry completed a PhD in astrophysics from MIT. What was his end goal? Or is he just like obsessed with getting an education? Some people are obsessed with learning. I was going to say, I know for sure that, remember when we were talking about how he entered the University of Toronto's engineering science program at the age of 16, and he was said to yeah. be like the youngest at the time to be so. Do you want to be an astronaut? No, but he was quoted in a later interview, like a lot later in his life, saying that he only applied for that program because he knew it was the hardest to get into. So it was just to be like, ha ha. Kind of. He was literally just out to shit, like, to be like, I'm smart. 
I can do this without trying that hard. I guess. Well, it sounds like that. The fact that he's like, oh, I only did that because that was the hardest. I just wanted to prove that I could do it. If you got it, flaunt it. Yeah, why not? Yeah. To back up a couple years from 67 when Barry completes his PhD, in November of 1965, Lewis Lloyd Winter dies suddenly at the age of 41. I don't know oh, how. Okay. It seems like it was really yeah. sudden and tragic. But 17 days later, his wife Beverly dies of leukemia. Okay. Yeah. So the couple, uh, Barry's uncle and aunt, essentially, leaves behind four children. Paul, who was born in 58. Jeffrey was born in 1960. Carrie was born in 61. And Dana was born in 62. So these kids were only like seven, five, four, three when their parents died. Those are such tough ages to begin with, but that's also a lot of children to rehome if they don't have parents all of a sudden or a parent or can't be cared for. Yeah, so they, they were all adopted by another Toronto, Ontario family. It sounds like one oh family adopted all four, which is really awesome. Um, we will come back to them a little bit, mostly Carrie out of the four, um, but we will okay. come back to them. Okay. So after the death of its founder, Lewis Lloyd Winter, and his wife, um, the company, Empire, was not doing that well, being run by... Someone else. Someone else, like the, the yeah. trust fund or, like, the lawyers or whatever. I kind of read somewhere that Barry... Part of the board doesn't know the new person, and then, like, they're not proving themselves. It's really hard, I think, for the board to stay confident in who's running the company, too. Well, and so I read somewhere that Barry actually approached Beverly... Okay. Before she died, when she was like in the hospital, so like in that little window of time, in the, the seventeen-day window of time, <laughs> he visited her. He was just obviously, like, knock, knock, knock. Can we talk? Well, I think she had had leukemia like before. Like she was well, already, yeah, she was quite sick. I didn't think she got it in seventeen days. Well, I mean, you never know. I've heard of. I mean, if you don't find her for that long, it can't be that devastating. But, but yeah, he went to visit her Back basically yeah. and and approached her about running the company. Like you know. He's gone now. You're going to be gone. I think I, I'm the best person yeah. to take this over. Well, like, I'd be happy to help and yeah. step up. and yeah, Essentially. Yeah. Okay, um, so he's trying to be the good guy. But she passed away before she could really, like, solidify, solidify anything in writing. Okay. And the lawyers wanted somebody that they appointed to be in charge is basically how that happened. That's why he didn't end up taking it over. But so Barry graduates with his astrophysics PhD, like I mentioned. He decides he wants to buy Empire Laboratories with a friend of his, Joel Ulster. Now, at this time, so two years later, yeah. uh, Empire is not doing well. Being run oh, by yeah, those other people, like... they're really not even in like a profit margin of any kind at this point. Like they're just they're going downhill. The executor of Lewis Lloyd Winter's will, Royal Trust, which is now a division of the Royal Bank of Canada or RBC, oh. processed this sale on behalf of the child beneficiaries of Lewis and Beverly because remember like this company is technically their dad yeah so they have like well, they have three kids, they had kids, right? at the time they died some sort of fortune to that they along. could have technically inherited yeah. um well yeah they can hire someone to step in and run the company yeah. until the kids are old enough to be at a position in life to take over yeah so to facilitate this, of course, Barry and Joel, under what they create called Sherman and Ulster Limited, offer 5% equity options to each of the four children and a 15-year royalty on four of Empire's patented products. So there's like some contingencies written into the sale to kind of protect the kids so and they give get them something revenue. in the future. And I think there was okay. something in there, too, of like... Um, the 5% equity option was only available if they worked for the company for, like, two years first. So he wanted them to be, like, involved and work in it and not just, like, get a bunch of money. Okay. I don't know. Lewis Lloyd okay. Winter worked hard for his business, so Barry was very much... Barry's not, like, a... So we like Barry. I like Barry. Okay. Barry definitely, like, rubbed some people the wrong way with his... The way that he was. So do I. But... I don't think in this case, he he was trying to make sure that they were, I don't know. Just I keep guess, going. I think I got the idea. 
So Barry married Honey Reich, turned Honey Sherman, of course, in 1971. Honey was a fellow University of Toronto graduate. Honey and Barry also had four children, a son, Jonathan, and three daughters, Lauren, Alexandra, and Kaylin. Okay. Honey was definitely known to be the more, like, outgoing of the two, usually the social one at gatherings, while Barry very much kept to himself and, like, discussed his businesses. Um, it's really all he cared about. Honey was very generous generous with her fortune. She was a massive philanthropist, and she doted, donated as much causes... <laughs> Donated as much as possible to causes that she felt were like really making a difference. Oh, good Yeah, she was you great. Have the money to yeah. do that. That's amazing. Yeah, honey was awesome possum. Sweet. Sweet like honey. I think we need more like super wealthy people like that personally, but. Yeah. So, a little bit back to business things in 72, Sherman and Ulster Limited. They sell Empire Laboratories, and the company and all of Sherman's shares in it were absorbed into the company Valiant Pharmaceuticals out of Quebec. This sale effectively voids his arrangement that he had made with the Winter family estate for um, his kids. uncle's kids, a.k.a. as his cousins, as empire now no longer exists and then just over a year later in 74 barry started what he called apotex incorporated apotex a generic pharmaceutical company oh my god now there's a really good chance that empire was maybe not like doing that well or he saw value in starting fresh or who yeah. knows but he basically these kids get written out of yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> you at least yeah. push for the kids to stay included. It just, yeah, I don't know. I guess there's, like, some debate over, so, like, yeah, maybe this wasn't, like, the most ethical or deal. Because it does involve family. Yeah. But at the same time, like, he technically did nothing wrong. Oh, technically, no. Yeah. He was kind of a shit. So, uh, Barry saw the value in what his uncle had started. He recognized that brand name pharmaceutical drugs and popular over-the-counter medications were expensive. And yeah. that without generic options, like, a lot of people wouldn't be able to purchase their meds. Yeah. So, Apotex did not do very well for the first little bit. So much so that Honey was actually urging Barry to quit before they lost everything. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't quit, guys. If you have a dream. So Apotex becomes the first company to market the generic version of the blood pressure drug Propanol in 1980. And by the 90s, Apotex was earning over $700 million in annual sales. I wouldn't doubt it. Apotex... That's like one of the most used medications, I would assume, probably outside from like heart and diabetes medication, probably. Mm -hmm. Blood pressure, it's right up there. Yeah. Apotex went on to create generic versions of a ton of different brand name drugs to be made available to consumers at a much lower cost. Apotex and Barry Sherman, as a result of this, were also involved in a lot of litigations uh, brought against him by the companies whose medications he was replicating, of course. Well, why not? One of the main reasons why so many companies were suing Barry is because Barry didn't like to wait to make the generic versions of these drugs. And there's actually a one-year patent period oh, that so he was companies get. So generic versions of the brand name drug are not supposed to be manufactured until the drug Can is they be developed before. They're not supposed to be. Okay. They're supposed to be like, like hold it completely for 365 day patent. Just like you were saying though, Barry just didn't really care. And so he would make them during the period. And then as soon as the one year patent period was lifted, he, really he was on the market. Yes. So, Smart. yeah. This caused him, of course, a lot of different lawsuits with a lot of different big companies. Yeah, fair. But, like, Barry had a lot of money. A lot, lot, lot of money. Like, you know, 
top 1% of the 1% lot of money, right? And at the time of his death, he alone was estimated to be worth about $4 billion himself. In 2018, Apotex was reported to have done $3 billion in sales to date. Um, Apotex, of course, like many wealthy people, was not his only business venture. He personally invested in a lot of random ventures. But actually, oddly enough, a lot of these turned out to be fraudulent. Like he wasn't surprised. He probably should have hired somebody to like maybe check somebody to go over some of these personal investments. Maybe like a most, business manager. Most notably, um, he put a lot of money into a yacht chartering company that turned out to be a fraud that never actually bought any yachts. Yeah, that's an so important factor in a yacht just, company. Like, Look a little bit harder into it. And this is not the only time he was investing in, like, pretty much nothing. What? Yeah, it must be nice to have that much money. Again, what is with these people that just keep doing things over and over again? I just imagine having so much money that you're investing in yachts that don't exist. I cannot relate. No, I watch Below Deck. I know how much it costs to run those things. I can't even invest in, like, Hot Wheels that don't exist. I they had They better be in front of me or I'm not buying them. I want to make complete sidebar. I have a Hot Wheels collection, and I want to make, like, a really cool display case for them. Oh, yeah, then they'd be worth it, but I don't have a cool thing to put them in. Yeah, no, mine are all just sitting in, like, a shoebox or a couple shoeboxes in the oh. in the packaging. Like, I've never taken them out Obviously. of packaging. Um, they're just in shoeboxes, but I would like to make a, like, case that I can display them in. Okay, that was a random sidebar about me. So the the, the weird thing about this to me was that so he's doing all these random investments and, in, like, shit that doesn't exist. But then he was also reported to be, like, like, he only had four cars in his lifetime. He did not buy anything. Okay. He was very, you know. He wasn't very lavish. He was quite frugal. Correct. They lived in the same home for, like, 32 years. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of. It's weird that he's so okay with throwing away money on these big investments, but doesn't, like, treat his family to upgrades and nice things here and there who am yeah. I kidding they probably have a beautiful house and four beautiful cars oh yeah time, no so. their home was like worth seven million dollars oh, okay. super super nice I more just mean like he yeah he drove the same car he was very like good or not good but um he didn't like to overspend and so it just like struck me as okay. odd that he was then like funneling all this money into investments that didn't exist you'd think somebody like that would be Kind of like constantly checking more. to see where their money is yeah. going and like how that's doing, but no, I agree. maybe not. So just a really random thing. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, but he also had more than just business lawsuits. Yeah. In 2007, Barry's cousins, aka Lewis Lloyd Winter's children, sued Barry for what they felt was their cut from the original deal deal from the sale of Empire. So, okay. they, so they sue him. This lawsuit dragged out for a decade until 2017. All four of the children started the lawsuit. However, by the end, um, son Dana's widow had to represent him as he passed away. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so basically the siblings were saying that collectively they were owed 20% of Barry's interest in Apotex. Which would have amounted to, like, millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. But remember, when Barry bought Empire, it wasn't making any money. Yeah, it was really tanking at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't making any money at all. Winter's sons and father, like, had nothing to do with Apotex as a company. So, as much as I can agree that, like, yeah, it's kind of shitty that they just got written out of that, they should, they're not owed this huge chunk of a company that Barry's essentially built from the ground up, even though the idea or like the premise, I agree that they're on something. I just feel like it's like, this would have all been fine. If that one condition had said like, as long as Barry owns the company. Yeah. Right. Like it could have been so simple, but because it was such a blanket offer, it shouldn't have to be honored by the other company. Although I do agree. That's kind of a shit move on Barry's part. Yeah. You want to, but then the other thing about that was that even throughout their lives as adults, not one of those children was in a position 
to run a business like this? Like, like they didn't have the education or wherewithal to successfully run it? Okay. No, and there's a lot of drug use, and, I mean, they had a hard life. They lost their parents as children. I'm not yeah. putting any blame on that, but at no point, even as adults, were they, like, they in a position be. where they yeah. could have kept that going. I don't think so. I, like, I didn't think of who they were as human beings, so, fair. Yeah, it's not like they were, like, denied jobs. They never asked yeah. for a job. Right? So... The option in the sale of Empire, of course, would have allowed the Winter children to get jobs at their father's old company as adults, along with the 5% share um, each in the company after working there for two years, which I guess is where the 20% comes from. Neither of these things, of course, ever materialized as Empire no longer exists. However, there is a record. So this is where this is why I wasn't shitting on Barry. There is a record that Barry was like bought all of them homes. Um, he was paying their mortgage. He was giving them an equivalent of like 15 grand a month. A month. I don't know. I wouldn't say that's accumulative. Either way. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Buying them cars. Like he didn't just leave them high and dry. That's why he only had four cars. All his extra money was one of these kids. He did not leave them high and dry. Um, he was very much. And as much as I think they felt like that came with conditions or whatever, like, you still accepted all of those yeah. things. Um, yeah, you had no problem accepting them, but yet when you start to get bad news, you're so mad. There's no appreciation for what he's already done for you. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure it was very much out in the open that, like, Barry didn't just do he's nothing not the bad guy people. here. Yeah. No, like, no, I agree. Knowing that, I don't think it's as shit of a move, like... Yeah. It's a change in his life that he needed to make. Yeah. So September 7, uh, 2017, sorry, Justice Kenneth Hood wrote that the purchase agreement itself shows that, quote, there was only so much that Sherman was willing to do for the plaintiffs, end quote, and that the option agreement was limited, qualified, contingent, and conditional. Hood dismissed the case and wrote that mm-hmm. the claimed interest in Apotex was wishful thinking and beyond fanciful. So not only does this judge dismiss the case, he also orders he the he orders the brothers to pay Barry back three hundred grand in legal fees, and Barry turned around and was like, "You can pay me for all the shit that I gave you." Oh my god! Mortgages, car loans, business loans, because I know he set up one oh, of them. I know he gave one of them money to start a construction company. Um, yeah, like, I'll have all of that back, you ungrateful pieces of shit. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's something I think I would do. Yeah, no, he was just like, yeah, we're, you're, you don't get to take me to court after I've just, like, literally funded your life. So I don't blame him. Yeah, so, of course, the brothers and their lawyers appealed, but the payment of, like, the $300,000 in legal fees was ordered by the judge on December 6, 2017. That's the day the judge said, you're going to have to pay, mm-hmm. like, no. And, well, I think he said no before that, but then he ordered the $300 legal fee, fee payment in December. Okay. So, sure enough. Nine days later, December 15, 2017, okay. the Sherman's real estate agent, Elise Stern, calls Toronto police at 11... 11- 45 a.m. from the Sherman's mansion. Okay. The realtor said that uh, she called hun- Honey's sister Mary, who told her to phone the police. The Shermans were at the time in the process of selling their $7 million home as they were actually going to build Honey's dream home. They bought like a piece of land and they were going to start a construction okay. on like a $20 million dream home that she wow. Amazing. Yeah, and so Stern, the realtor, along with another realtor and two of his clients, were viewing the home and discovered... Who's squatting? Huh? Who's squatting? <laughs> so they move through the house, they get to the pool area, they open the door, they turn the lights indoor on... Pool, let me get some indoor room. pool area. Okay. I'm and they find Honey and Barry Sherman's bodies oh. in the pool area. Sad. 
The Toronto police said, quote, she says it was very weird. They were far away and their heads were elevated and hanging on the railing leading into the pool. Stern told the police she originally thought the couple was doing, quote, some weird yoga thing before she realized they were actually dead. And she quickly closes the door, gets the strangers out of the house, and then, like I said, calls honey sister Mary, who was like, um, phone the police. Like, why are you calling me? Yeah. And then... People, call the police before you call their next of kin. Yeah, proactively. so... They're just, like, dead... And their bodies are arranged in the pool area, in the downstairs indoor pool area. So she also adds that the gardener who had just arrived at the residence went back down to the basement to investigate. But according to the court documents, the gardener told police that she came within a meter of the bodies, did not touch them, and came back upstairs. Okay. Yeah. And at this point, the public wasn't really given a lot of info about how the bodies were actually found. Fair. They're kind of socialites. Like, they're not... They, they keep a lot of stuff close. Yeah, I mean, they keep a lot in general, but they keep extra when someone's rich and famous. Yeah. So this, of course, is over three years ago. Mm-hmm. Three and a half years ago. This case is still unsolved. Honey and Barry were both considered, of course, Canadian billionaire philanthropists. Honey was especially involved in charity. She was a member on the board of the Baycrest Foundation and the York University Foundation. She also served on the boards of uh, Mount Sinai's Women's Auxiliary, the Simon Weisenthal Center and the International American Joint Distribution Committee. Toronto Mayor John Tory said wow. of Honey, she was at the center of raising money and giving money. This was considered a huge loss for the community. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I could only imagine how hard that would be. Yeah, and so at the beginning of the investigation, the police were actually quoted in media outlets claiming that they believed this was a murder-suicide. Bullshit. Yeah. There's n- there was no signs of forced entry into the home, and the police did issue a statement stating that they had both died from ligature neck compression, which is basically just, like, strangulation. That's not murder-suicide. Um... But friends and family of the couple immediately rule, like, rule that out or basically just say it's bullshit like you did because they just said they wouldn't end it like that. Like, they were very much in love. They yeah. were celebrating the arrival of a new grandchild. One of their kids was getting married. Like a new house. There's, like, murder-suicide's not an option. What are you talking about? You don't build a $20 million house to not enjoy it. No, and just n- nothing pointed to that in their lives. No, that's weird. Yeah. The Shermans had been married for 40 years, no history of abuse or violence. Not only were they planning on building a new home together, but they had actually planned trips to Japan and Israel. Yeah, you don't plan trips either. No, like a murder-suicide just didn't make sense. Eight days after their death, their son Jonathan told police during an interview that the couple had enemies. Which I imagine that you do when you are a billionaire in the pharmaceutical industry. Oh yeah. I would imagine that you have enemies. Jonathan Sherman told the police his parents were, quote, complicated people and that there are people out there who would have a grudge against them and would have a reason to hurt them. Sherman also described his father as brilliant but lacking in emotion and social intelligence, whereas his mother, he said, was smart, abrasive, and high energy. It's interesting as well uh, and important for me to note, in my opinion, Jonathan, I mean, it's his dad. Jonathan had borrowed, like, when I say a lot of money, I'm talking like upwards of 125 to 200 million dollars in interest-free loans from Barry for a business. When you say loans, does that mean they've been paid back? No, I mean okay. he just was loaning him money, and he so had... he gave him money. Yeah, and there was email exchanges that indicated Barry had asked Jonathan and his business partner to secure bank loans to pay back. 50 to 60 million to Apotex by December 15th, 2017 to assist with an upcoming Mm. potential $580 million lawsuit that was coming Apotex's way. Mm -hmm. Money of which... Yeah, and it didn't sound like he was calling the bank or actually trying to secure those bank loans to pay his money back and Barry just kind of kept being like, Jonathan, you gonna send me this money or... Yeah, what are we doing here? Like, conversation and the money just never came. 
Pick up so, the piece. bro. That's interesting. Yeah, it's always funny when there's just like weird coincidental timing with large amounts of money. And then someone dies. Personally. The same day. It's coinky dink. Even close to is weird. Same day though. Super weird. Super suspicious. Um, I mean, I'm just laying out the facts. I'm not saying anybody did it because we don't know who did it because it's unsolved. Okay. So the Sherman's bodies were found on a Friday. So, and by Sunday, homicide detectives had actually taken over the investigation and were deeming the deaths as okay. suspicious. So within a couple of days, they were like, quiet. okay, fine. No yeah. murder, suicide. Police have remained incredibly tight. But like my last case. They decided that after 48 hours as well, and they lost so much evidence, I feel like. So, 48 hours is still a lot of time. I don't think they did in this one because of how the bodies were found. I really don't think they just cleaned it up and were like, murder-suicide, because A, these people are worth billions well, of dollars. Well, murder is still in the title, too, like murder-suicide. Yeah. Hers was just considered to be a suicide. Yeah. So, okay. These people are worth billions of dollars, and they were found, like, with their bodies in dead and, like, positioned in their pool area. Like, yeah. I, I would hope that they weren't just, like, washing away evidence and thinking it was a suicide. Fair. <laughs> I don't know. That's just me, but... No, I think that's a reasonable request. Yeah. Police, like I said earlier, they've uh, remained incredibly tight-lipped about this investigation over the years. However, oh. January 2021, so this year, over 300 pages of court documents were made public after a court challenge by the Toronto Star. <laughs> oh, it's a star. The ballsy news media, man. Just Yeah. Right? Trying to they're go obviously, the top. they're keeping a tight lip for a reason public record though to a certain extent there's got to be something they can share it is so exactly they i mean they win but it's heavily redacted but still these documents reveal more details about the discovery of the couple's bodies the documents were obtained um by getting access to what is known in canada as itos which okay. is an information to obtain submission yeah please police present ITOs to the court to obtain search warrants. So they basically just get record of all of the documents that the police actually submitted to the court oh. in order to get search warrants, which tells you okay. a lot about the direction that they're going oh, in an investigation, small. right? The ITOs show that police have obtained warrants to search the Sherman's phone, bank, health info as well as their computers um the ones found Whoa. in the home and in the office and the lab at apotex the most recent ito was from february 2018 and reveals that police were investigating um obviously possible financial motives as well mm -hmm. for the double homicide fair um very fair there's a <laughs> few different air avenues we could go with that um but as I mentioned, it was also revealed leading into leading up to their death, like in those last couple weeks, that Apotex lost a $580 million court case involving a drug patent. Um, okay. So that was the one they were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's the one they were talking about. And it had also just laid off a bunch of staff. More cuts were coming. Oh. But Barry Sherman's longtime business partner, Jack Kay, who was actually considered the last person to see him alive. Uh-huh told police that their death likely had nothing to do with this particular, like, losing this particular court case. Yeah. He said, quote, Barry would not be faced by Apotex's financial situation as Apotex was only one of Sherman's holdings and they have, a, like, other money. Okay, fair. Which totally makes sense. He's got other avenues to go down if this doesn't work out, so whatever. Yeah. These unsealed documents revealed that at the time of their deaths, Barry Sherman held $67 million in personal property and $1.8 million in real estate. Honey Sherman had $45.9 million in personal property and $9.5 million in real estate. Get it, honey. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, nice. they had an insane amount of money. I mean, yeah, their son's not right. You make a lot of enemies or a lot of people would, you know, want to see you gone when you have that much money and power. 
Well, as soon as you're better than someone, yeah. they want to take you out. Yeah. So the ITOs also revealed that the police wanted to know where and how the Shermans were spending their money. And they, the note quoted, bank records would help track their movement. Okay, fair, yeah. Yeah. The ITOs also revealed more info about how the Sherman bodies were found, which I did kind of explain. But yeah. when officers arrived on scene, they discovered Barry and Honey fully clothed in the basement near their indoor pool in a, quote, semi semi-seated position facing the wall. Their arms were behind them but not bound and there were two black belts looped around their necks with the other end attached to a railing. The causes of death were determined to be ligature neck compressions or a type of strangulation of course like we said. This was determined by the coroner. Their wrists showed evidence that they had at one point been bound together. Okay. No rope or other materials that could have been used to tie their wrists were discovered at the scene, and their bodies were otherwise limp and arms unbound when they were discovered. God, this is terrible. Horrible. So at some point they were likely tied together to, like, maybe back-to-back to, like, the pole where the railing for the pool is or something. Yeah, or I'm thinking maybe they were tied together and, like, held hostage or... Sit over there. uh, You know, Yeah. yeah before taken out and then their bodies moved and placed yeah yeah okay yeah Yeah. it just honestly horrible for anyone but we're talking a 70 year old woman 75 year old man kryptonite it's like honestly elderly abuse triggers me i get so upset yeah yeah okay Documents appeared, so these documents appear to support a working police theory that the couple was killed 36 hours before they were discovered on the, fifth, um, on the 15th. So they think they were, just, they were killed on the 13th. They suggest the last people to see the Shermans alive were a custom home builder, an architect, and a subcontractor who met with the couple around 5 p.m. on Wednesday, the 13th to go over the details of, obviously, the new $20 million home that they were planning to build. Honey left that meeting at 5.30 p.m. Barry stayed at the office to finish up some work for a few hours, which is why I said the last person technically to see him alive would have been his business partner, Jack Kay, because he was there. Okay, fair. At 6.21 p.m., Honey used her mobile phone or her cell phone. I don't know why I wrote mobile phone. Who says that? Uh, to, to call her friend for about five minutes, and this appears to be the last time family or friends heard from her. Okay. Court documents reveal that Honey didn't answer at least ten calls to her cell phone that started coming in on the morning of the 14th uh-huh. and continued through the 15th when the couple was found, and also on the 14th, Honey missed okay. a meeting, and she never missed meetings. Okay, I can see why they came to that theory then. And there is more, because later on... I'm actually, we are actually getting to the end of this. Okay. The family, like the couple's kids, yeah. hire a private investigator, and there is like some more stuff that they reveal about why they think it was the 13th. Okay. So the ITOs indicate that multiple people arrived at the old Colony Road home prior to the couple's bodies actually being found. The Sherman's housekeeper and their personal trainer and a furnace tuck had entered the house that morning, but none of them saw the couple's bodies in the pool area, which, like, if you don't have to go downstairs to an indoor pool area, why would you? Although, wait, sorry, who were the workers? Housekeeper, personal trainer, and a furnace tuck. Wouldn't a personal trainer know if you weren't there? We're getting there. There's a likelihood that the plumber may need to go somewhere near the water shut off by the pool. Maybe. And the housekeeper might be checking that room to see if it needs clean. I think all three of these people could potentially look around. Yeah, I think it just, like, this is a fucking huge but mansion. But the personal trainer one bothers me. Yeah, so the housekeeper, of course, and the trainer were the first to arrive at around 8.25. The housekeeper always came Fridays at 8.30, but she was, like, waiting to let the trainer in. The trainer was for Honey's appointment, Honey's personal training appointment. Girl. And they told the police that the couple's house alarm was off, which they found odd, because it was the first time that they had seen the alarm deactivated in the three years they had been working there. Okay, very odd then. Yes. And then I have written here, I imagine this house is massive, so if you don't have to go down to the pool, you know. I get that that could lend a little more to the murder-suicide theory, like, in the heat of everything else going on, maybe the door locking wasn't the big thing or setting the alarm, so... 
Okay. And the alarm's not set because you're both home, maybe. Unless they yeah. have the one that you have on when you are home. They probably do their ridge. Yeah, okay, so your question about the personal trainer. Yeah. Because you were wondering about that. Um, she was interviewed by police pretty quick after and said that she went into the kitchen to wait for Barry, who typically did his workout an hour before his wife began her two-hour training session at 9.30, and Barry didn't come down to the kitchen. So the housekeeper went upstairs to see if they were still sleeping. Yeah. The housekeeper said she found the bed in the master bedroom was made, but a bit untidy, and noticed that the sink Honey normally uses was dry. She said so it was like that they hadn't brushed their teeth and stuff that morning, kind of thing. Yeah, she said it was weird for the bed to be made on Fridays because, like, Honey usually just left the bed unmade when she knew the housekeeper Why was not? coming. Yeah. Which same, I not that I have a housekeeper. I just mean like same. I would do that. Housekeeper returns yeah, downstairs, yeah. informs the personal trainer that the Shermans aren't home, uh. and the personal trainer told police that she just like assumed the couple had departed for because I guess they were like planning a trip to go to Florida anyway oh so maybe they just left early or something yeah just like assumed that they went a bit early and forgot to start okay fair and the trainer left just like just before well, sure, nine too if it's like their known housekeeper and she comes down and she's just like yeah they're not here you'd probably just be like oh weird okay well I'll just see you next time like maybe they forgot maybe they left yeah like, they're busy I don't people. know if you would look that far into it yeah, and the trainer also noticed that Honey's 2007 Lexus was still in the driveway, but the housekeeper said it was not uncommon for her to leave the vehicle behind, like, when she went out of town. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so then, of course, the furnace cleaner was the next person to arrive, and then the realtor, um, which we know. Well, and I mean, the, if the housekeeper's there, she likely could let everyone in and out. Those ones might not be that odd. Yeah, and the realtor arrived at, like, 10.50 a.m. Um, and Wait, Sorry, why was the realtor there? To show the house. Remember that? Oh, that's yeah, because that's the bodies. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, and the housekeeper just kept cleaning. I don't know why, for some reason, I was, like, different day. So I think, like, hindsight, maybe. Okay, yeah, all this stuff Again, seems odd. Yeah. I just don't know, in the moment, this isn't a period of, like, two hours that you'd have. Well, and, like, if you, yeah, if you think about it, you think, okay, trainer shows up. Well, housekeeper shows up. They're not there. That's probably not that odd. She probably cleaned the house many times without them there. Trainer shows up. The trusted housekeeper is just like, oh, yeah, they're not home. They must have forgotten. Those mm -hmm. two together are kind of weird, but not weird enough to really raise any red flags until you know the third one, mm -hmm. which is like the realtor coming by. It's like, especially if the housekeeper didn't even know about that. Yeah, and then another thing that the cleaner told the police was that honey never went to the basement because she had bad legs oh okay well then so basically okay. like they That's probably nice. didn't go down there on their own by no, the, on their own force down there mm -hmm. yeah i agree so like i said the sherman children hired a team of private investigators that like, includes don't they have a lift in their house if they're that rich you don't need to go down there. Like, you've lived there for over 30 years, you know, nothing totally I down agree. there that you need. Who cares? But I'm just saying. Maybe they were building one in their $20, $20, in their oh, $20 million dollar mansion. This one was only seven, Katie. It might not have elevators. Fair. Okay. Gotta bump up to the 20 mil one for that. True. I mean, moving on up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the kids hire private investigators that includes retired police officers. The private investigators also believe that the couple was killed on the 13th. Whew. And the reasoning for this was that Honey apparently was found wearing the same clothes that she was last seen in on the 13th. Oh, okay. So that kind of. some, like, kind of real proof. That kind of does it, right? Not just theories. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They also believe that uh, Honey struggled with the killers in some way because she had cuts on her lips and nose and was sitting in, a, this one's hard to say, a pool of her own blood when she was found, but there was comparatively little blood on her upper body clothing, which suggests that she had been face down on the tile bleeding for some time before being moved and bound to the handrail in an upright position. Oh my god, that is really hard to hear. Yeah, it's a really rough visual. Yeah, especially like we said, old people are just like, you don't go there. 
my grandma would be really upset with you right now and she would say it's older people. Old, whatever. I'm not allowed to say old My mom's old. I don't even know why that, why people get so offended about that, but, you know, if my grandma wants to be called older and not old, I'm going to call her older. How old is she? 80. Grandma. Older. This is the definition of old. Give it to her! Okay, fine. Older. <laughs> so, just to kind of finish up, I mean, there's not a lot more to this other than, you know, some of course theories and whatever i mean i think i've already kind of planted the seed yeah. for some of those but one of them at least the home that barry and honey and i'm not even i don't know are you talking about the sun yeah oh i'm not even going to go into that one i don't know if that's just a huge coincidence but Maybe. there's not a lot more online besides mm -hmm. he's been very like forthcoming with police he's say, been very yeah, forthcoming with like giving you know giving up yeah. emails and things like that so i don't know but the home obviously that the shermans shared it was demolished in may of 2019 and ontario's land registry records show that the land was transferred to the shermans estate and children in august of 2020 i'm pretty oh. sure it's now been sold i think they would have found the money from it though yeah i think the kids were just like it's too painful i don't want well and like also it's the one piece of land between four people they yeah. probably was to be honest easier to sell it and split the money yeah so obviously as i said earlier uh no arrests have been made no suspects have been publicly identified toronto police have said they have a number of people they consider to be persons of interest and that the case is far from cold the family of Honey and Barry Sherman is offering up a reward of $10 million for information Whoa. that leads to the arrest and prosecution of suspects and their deaths, which is why I just feel like the son thing is a coincidence. Um, now, the one that kind of does float around the internet is Carrie Winter. Uh, so Carrie Winter course is one of the cousins yeah he was one of the main uh driving forces behind the lawsuit against okay. barry for like being written out of the sale of empire and without going too far into it because we don't really do like theories too much in unsolved cases on this podcast. I feel we like we just to, yeah. we just like touch on the info yeah. that's available. But if you want to like go super super deep, you can do that yourself. But he has made some outlandish outlandish statement, Frankie. I'm almost done. He's made some outlandish statements to police and the media. So. Yeah, we all like people to talk to the media. Yeah. I'll just, I'll give you a little bit of... Give me a taste. ...of what he has been kind of saying. So, first of all, his sister-in-law pretty much said that um, when they died, he apparently, quote, suffered some form of nervous breakdown. And that's what she is attributing this behavior to. Um, but in February 2018, he he didn't he did interviews with the Toronto Sun or like with the media denying his involvement in the death of mm -hmm. Barry and Honey, but acknowledged that many people would see him as a sus a suspect since uh, the the court because of the court loss. Why would you not try to distance yourself from it much as much as possible? Yeah, you're literally going in front of the camera and being like, oh, I totally see why everybody would think I'm a suspect. Yeah. But then he started saying a bunch of random shit, saying that Barry uh, twice asked him in the 90s to, quote, whack his wife, saying that Barry asked him to kill Honey. Okay, why are our last my last case and your this case is so similar? Yeah, so I actually agree in so many ways because wasn't there a Herbert in your case too? Herbert Hurling? Yeah, there was a Herbert in this. Also, Hyman. Like, murder for Hyman. Herbert Hyman. But oh my god, I had Herbert Hurlinger and you had Herbert Hyman. Oh, so he tells. So he says that um, Barry said 
like told him he wanted him to kill his wife, right? Yeah. He failed a lie detector about that. A lie detector test about that. Uh, then he told CBC's Fifth Estate that he once fantasized about decapitating Barry. Quote, I wanted to roll his head down the parking lot. End quote. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, it doesn't really end there. Uh, so, I mean, remember that court case of theirs uh, was thrown out and they were ordered to pay the money like yeah. nine days before the, the bodies were found. So that's an incredibly short window of time as well. Like yeah. all the time things are just freaky. And then apparently he was telling another media outlet that Barry killed her and committed suicide. No. So going along with the murder suicide theory. Probably there is more though to that. So I'm just going to like hop over to um, a different article. <laughs> he told another news report that um, his alibi for the night was that he was attending a 12-step program uh, for Cocaine Anonymous and was at work the next day. Um, his alibi in between, for which he says, he goes out of his way and says, this isn't a concrete alibi and I know that. He says he watched an episode of Peaky Blinders. Nobody's asking you for this information. No. Like, you're coming out and being like, oh, I had no alibi. So also, by the I way, wanted to do I have an alibi, but it's not great. Yeah. Then he says, he told this to CBC. This is a direct fucking quote from this guy. Very easy for me to have left work at any time because I'm not on the clock. I could have easily driven over to the Sherman home and did the deed. Oh, you know what, though? You gotta love a job where you're not, where you don't have adherence truth but right. then he says i admit to that but i didn't i didn't and that's why i'm not nervous well then don't say you could have that doesn't look good so i mean that's just a little bit about that i guess um he also told uh detectives that he had never stepped foot inside the sherman home before in his life bullshit Lie yeah. Lie determiner. Oh my God! Can't even do it. The lie determine. The lie detector test determined you are. Lie. Yeah. Um. He's just wild. Like I could keep going. That that's that's not the end of Carrie Winter's wild claims. They just, they contradict each other. he doesn't any more attention. No, he really doesn't because at this point, like, everything that he's saying could be bullshit. We really don't know what's true and what's fiction in this guy's world. But, like, um, going out of your way normally to insert yourself in an investigation and be like, I could have done it, but I didn't, isn't great. No, it's like... It's almost like, you know, when you use reverse psychology on a little kid, you're like, well, I bet you couldn't. It's almost yeah. like he's like, well, I could have. It's, but yeah. But I didn't. So anyway, I mean, that I is. if I wanted to. Yeah. That is the unsolved murders of Barry Sherman and Honey Sherman. Um, this was actually a case suggestion Ooh. by my wife. So shout out to Rachel. <laughs> thank you for this one I when she first suggested it to me I was like oh that's probably so overdone and like not ugh, but I was like yeah okay I can do that but I don't know a ton about it but you know not me I'm sure it's been done a ton of times it hasn't for starters and it's wild I didn't know like anything about this it was a wild ride uh, as I was researching it I was like oh Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. So it's super crazy, and I really hope that we do get justice in this case, as I hope for every case. <laughs> I just think... I think Frankie has told me that my time is up, and she's over listening to me talk. I mean, Frankie uh, has to pee. She's just over us, so... Yeah. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. 
it's been such a joy to record together. Obviously, we're going to be back to our regular scheduled programming of being in our separate rooms next week, but this has been so fun, and I hope it turns out as good as it... As we hope it did? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I... Let us know what you think. Like, do you notice a big difference in it? What do you like better? Mm -hmm. Do you think that we tell stories differently when we're together? I'm genuinely a little curious. I Obviously, we haven't heard it, but I feel like yours sounded different. Yeah, same. This one, I don't I... know why I sound sad about that. No, That's not fine. in a bad way. I know. I just feel like it was a lot more like we were hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. We also had You got Franklin. to grow out with us this time, guys. I love that. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. Love you a long time. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.